three passages. First of all, uh, let's go to 1 Samuel uh, 18, then 2 Samuel 1, and finally Mark chapter 3. We pick up in uh, 18, right after uh, David defeats uh, Goliath. And uh, so and Saul asks, you know, who, who are you, young man? And David says, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And we pick up with verse 1 of 18. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. Then we flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, this is just after Saul and Jonathan, uh, David's friend, had been killed in battle. David writes a song of lament. And uh, here's part of that song of lament, verses 25 and 26. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. And then to Mark chapter 3. <clears throat> it's Jesus with his disciples. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Well, I want to do just a little bit of a, a self-serving survey, if you can. Uh, and you can be honest on this, and I'm not going to ask you to, you know, do anything like 1 to 10 or, or any of that kind of thing. But I ask you this question, uh, how many, uh, for, for how many of you, has my ministry benefited you in some way? You know, if you feel like you've received some benefit from my ministry... Oh, okay, that's quite a few of you. That's great. I mean, that's very encouraging to me. But I have a number of people that you need to thank for this. Uh, if my ministry has benefited you in, in any way at all, uh, you need to thank Jeff. Um, you don't know Jeff? Oh, man. I, you know, I've known Jeff since I was 10 years old. In fact... Jeff was the guy who invited me to the youth camp and the youth club where I was led to Christ. You know, so, so you need to thank Jeff. You also need to thank Frank. 
Okay, you may not know Frank either. Well, tragically, Frank's dead, so you don't get a chance to meet Frank. You might meet Jeff because he's still my friend today. We've been friends for more than 45 years now. Uh, I know that's more than most of you have been alive, and you can't even fathom, you know, having a friend that long. But uh, more than 45 years, and we'll probably be friends until we die. But Frank, Frank was my pastor uh, when I was growing up. Uh, and he kind of took me on, uh, when, when I first felt called to go in the ministry, he was encouraging to me. And he treated me like a friend, uh, not really so much like a kid. Then, of course, you need to thank Brian. Uh, Brian was my best friend who was a Christian in high school. And we kind of kept each other on the straight and narrow a little bit. Uh, then, of course, there's Dale. Uh, you, you probably don't know him either, do you? Uh, Dale was my friend in seminary, uh, a bit older than Karen and me, but he really took care of us. Uh, really great guy. If you've ever been to my house and saw the roll-top desk in my office, Dale gave me that desk. And if you've ever seen the, the silk rug on the floor in our front room, Dale gave me that rug. Uh, and so I think about Dale every day. Uh, then, of course, there's Bill. Now, some of you might have met Bill. Bill's been here a couple of times. Uh, he was, uh, again, a friend in seminary. We got to be really better friends even beyond that. Tremendous encouragement. Then, of course, there's Marty. Okay, you don't know him either. This is, this is really terrible. But uh, There's Marty. He was an elder in my first church. Now he's the pastor of a church. Uh, then, of course, there's Alan. Uh, Alan was uh, a leader in a ministry that really encouraged me and strengthened me and set me on the path, actually, to get here. Probably, if I hadn't met Alan, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, and then, of course, there's Eric. Eric, you'll get to meet him in June when he comes. Uh, he and, and his wife and his daughter will be here just for one Sunday in June. And you can thank Eric, because he was an elder in my last church. He's still an elder in that church and one of the leaders of that church. And I could probably list many, many more. The point is that all of these men, these friendships with these men, have been instrumental in me becoming the person I am today. Without these friendships, and every single person, and I could, you know, I, I had to stop listing because I could go on, you know, for about an hour or so, Every one of these friendships were significant to me, and several of these friendships I still have today. Well, like I said, with, uh, with Jeff, we've been friends more than 45 years. Uh, Karen knew Jeff when they were, you know, about this tall uh, in first year of school. You know, so <clears throat> she's known him a lot longer than that. Uh, the point is, men need male friendships. We absolutely need male friendships. We cannot go without them. They are essential for us to be effective, to thrive. We need male friendships. And as Proverbs says, uh, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We need that sharpening. Um, another proverb, Proverbs 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother, and by brother here, he's not talking about a biological brother, a brother is born for adversity. Okay, I've got many brothers walked with me through times of adversity. Jeff, and Eric, and Marty, and, and Olashina, and you know, I can list Fadi. I mean, one of the great things about this church right now 
is that I've got an eldership with friends, male friends, who are genuine friends as well as elders, uh, and that friendship is absolutely essential to us. I love what uh, this guy Robert Brault said. Never heard of Robert Brault until I looked this up, and then I looked him up online. He's an author, and he said a lot of really cool stuff. You know, but uh, I love what he says here. Uh, most of us don't need a psychiatric therapist as much as a friend to be silly with. I mean, come on, I like that, guys. I mean, we can be silly. I mean, that's what we need. That's what we need. Or uh, this uh, Arnold Glasso, uh, again, somebody I don't, don't know. He's an author. I looked him up, you know, do these quotes and things. But I love what he said. He said, a loyal friend laughs at your jokes when they're not so good. Notice how we're all friends to Olashina. Uh, and sympathizes with your problems when they're not so bad. Those are great. And if you think about it, even Jesus needed male friends. Male friends. I mean, all the time, we, we look at the calling of the, the, the 12, the 12 disciples, and you notice what the text here says. The text doesn't say, and he called these guys to be his disciples. It doesn't say that he called them to be apostles. What the text says, that Jesus went up on the mountain, he prayed, and he called to himself those whom he desired. Those whom he desired. And what was the first responsibility of those whom Jesus desired, according to the text? It was so that they would be with him. Be with him. Jesus desired, needed friends to be with him. And if you notice Jesus' pattern, I think it's a healthy pattern for us. Jesus called 12, so he had a circle of 12, but within that circle of 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John, that he was closest to. Now that wasn't always easy, you know, because sometimes... The, the rest of the 12 got jealous of Peter, James, and John. And then he had John, who was likely the one he was closest to, at least according to John. You know, we get that in John's gospel, because what does John say? He refers to himself repeatedly as the disciple that Jesus loved. Isn't that great? You know? And the other guys, they got jealous of these things. But that's what Jesus did. That's his, that's, that's his pattern. And I think, guys, that's probably pretty true for us. We need a, a circle of friends that we're with, but we need a smaller circle. And that smaller circle is probably never more than two, three, or four people, no matter how outgoing you are. And we all need somebody that we've really committed to as kind of our one or maybe our two to be our closest friends. And we need men. We need men to be friends with in this way. But the problem is our society today is conspiring against male friendships, genuine male friendships. I mean, think about this. We use language like a bromance. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but those of you that I love, I'm not in a bromance with you, right? 
That's way too close to romance, you know. And I'm not, you know, and uh, hopefully I'm going to have lunch with uh, Jovan here sometime very soon. Uh, we got this Greek place we love to go to. We're going to be sitting there, and I guarantee you one thing that won't happen. I won't be sitting on the opposite side of the table from Jovan gazing longingly into his eyes. And he won't be doing that to me either. We're not going to have no bromance. And when we do, it's not, this is the other thing I just, uh, we're not having a mandate. We've got a mandate to get together, but that's not the same thing as a mandate. You get it? But, but that's the kind of thing that society is doing. Or, you know, think about that. Uh, society also encourages this kind of brutish behavior if we're going to be friends, you know. So we've got to get drunk. We've got to smash something. We've got to mistreat women and mistreat others and say all kinds of swear words. You know, that, that's not it, you know. Or society tends to distort healthy competition into adversarial relationships. I mean, men, we need, we're competitive in nature. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm competitive with you, it doesn't make me your enemy. But society's trying to push us into these either-or kinds of categories or that suggests that, you know, our, our, our male affection is something that's dark or somehow sexualized uh, uh, or it seduces us into an over-sexualized view of life which inhibits us from having genuine, open, honest relationships. But we need male friendships. Especially as Christian men, we need male friendships. Now obviously, by reading this passage from Samuel, I, I, I think that in addition to Jesus, Jonathan and David are the quintessential example of male friendship in the whole Bible. You don't have a male friendship probably anywhere in Scripture that's closer than that of Jonathan and David. It's very powerful. And if you read the whole story about the two of them, we didn't go all of it. We kind of read the introduction and the conclusion. If you read the whole story, you see very, very powerful things about their friendship as men. And I think we can learn a lot, obviously, from them uh, a lot of lessons about what it takes to be real friends together as men, authentic friends, especially as Christian, Christian men. What does it take for us to be friends? And I hope with all of this, uh, ladies, you, you learn as well. I mean, there's some of these things that apply to you, but frankly, men and women do friendship differently. On the whole, we do friendship differently, and that's okay. That's okay. We've got to be who and how God has created us to be. Well, the first thing you see in this passage here in, in chapter 18, here's David. He's just, uh, just killed the Philistine. He comes to, to Saul, the king. Saul calls him. Uh, and Jonathan is Saul's son, okay? So Jonathan is the guy who's going to inherit the kingdom from his dad. He is the prince. He is like... Uh, I, I won't compare him to Charles maybe so much as maybe William. You know, he's kind of the, the equivalent of William there uh, in terms of standing. And so it's key here, but here Jonathan is the one who initiates that friendship. The first thing we learn, if we're going to be and have friends as men, 
We need to initiate friendships by choosing to be a friend. We don't wait for them to come to us. We need to seek them out. And we need to be active about it. You see this, Jonathan chose David as his friend. He chose David as his friend. Jonathan allowed his soul. Now that's, that's kind of a strange, a, a strange phrase there. His soul to be knit with David's soul. Uh, that's the Hebrew word nephesh, which refers to our being, our personality, who we are, our understanding of ourselves. And, and so Jonathan said, hey, I want to be linked to you, man. I, I, I really want to be connected. And so I'm going to allow this connection to happen. I'm not going to hold anything back. At my very being, I'm going, to, I'm going to connect with you. And then friendship always requires a deliberate choice. Almost never do friendships happen accidentally or coincidentally. They almost always occur because someone says, hey, I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. I want to, re well, I want to reach out to you. My friend Brian in high school, we got to be friends because we sat in desks next to each other. And I don't remember if I reached out to him or he reached out to me, but we started connecting. I do know it was like six months before I really knew his name because I'm really bad with names. Even then I was bad with names. So for, year, for, for months I called him dude uh, until I, I finally got a, you know, when he signed his name on a piece of paper, I thought, oh, okay, Brian, uh, that's great. Uh, we got that. I don't think he's listening to this, so I'm okay. You need to choose to be a friend before you will have a friend. Or if you have a friend and you're not choosing to be a friend, that's probably a false friend. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn here is that we need to love our friends as we love ourselves. Love our friends as we love ourselves. Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. He loved David as his own soul, it says. He loved David as he, he loved his own sense of being. Now it's important here to understand this word never ever refers to being gay. This is not, absolutely not, any even remotely hinted at in the scriptures. There's no language there. Uh, but this is a, an extremely deep friendship. Extremely deep friendship. This word here for love, it's not the same as the Greek word agape that we normally have. Love in this, in this word is more like we use love in English. You know, like I love pizza, I love my wife, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a more general word for love. But when it's used between friends, when it's used between friends, it means intentionally giving from your own well-being for the good of your friend. In other words, when we choose to love someone, we say, hey, I'm going to give of myself of the good things of my life to this person so they will experience good in their lives. That's the whole idea here. It's having a genuine sense of caring and affection among friends. It even indicates giving preferential treatment to your friend. And that's really hard today because... We, we've got this thing that goes around today where you've got to love everybody equally. And if you're, if you're friends, you know, if I'm friend with uh, A, 
I need to be equally as much a friend with B. Uh, do you know that's not biblical? We will have friends. You even see this in the life of Jesus. You got John, you got Peter, James, and John, and you have the rest of the 12. Now, in a sense, Jesus as God loved them all with all the passion of his being, but certainly Jesus gave preferential treatment to Peter, James, and John. You see it time after time after time, and that's because they were his friends. There's nothing wrong with that. And we often fall into a trap of jealousy because we'd like to be friends with somebody like somebody else is friends with them, but that often doesn't happen because there's so many things that fall into friendship. But if we're going to be a friend, if we're going to have a friend, we must love our friends as we love ourselves. Jesus said that, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's the same kind of idea. The third thing we see from this example of Jonathan and David is we must commit to having mutual friendships. Mutual friendships. Now what happened here, Jonathan made a covenant with David. Now in this context, there's nothing overly extraordinary about a covenant. It's not like Jonathan and David got married here or anything like that. Simply what it means is they made it a mutual agreement to be friends with one another and be committed to that friendship. They made a mutual agreement to be friends to one another and be committed to that friendship. We have to do that. Friendships, real male friendships, always have that degree of mutuality to it. Uh, a friendship will have healthy, what we call reciprocity. So sometimes Andrew and I would go out for lunch during the, the weekday uh, and, uh, and I'll buy one time and then Andrew will buy the next time. And we shift back and forth. You know, unless I conven conveniently forget that Andrew bought the last time and say, well, I, you know, I think it's your turn. You know, but that doesn't happen too often. Uh, or at all, I don't know. I, you know, but there's a, there's a reciprocity to that. You know, if I share something from my life, then you share something from your life. That's what that means. We mutually disclose, you know, what's going on in our lives. And friendships also, in this mutuality, require that we invest some time together. You will not be friends with somebody that you spend no time with. You really can't. Now that, that can vary. You know, obviously I don't spend a lot of time with my friend Jeff, but when I go back to the States, I do. And we spend a, almost all of our time together when we're in the States, uh, and you know, that kind of thing. But there's gotta be a mutuality in our relationship. We must commit to having mutual friendships. And we see that in Jonathan and David. Then there's a fourth thing that we see here with Jonathan and David, and that is we need to honor our friends by sharing ourselves. Honor your friends by sharing yourself with them. It is honor to share ourselves, honor to share our lives, honor to share part of who we are with our friends, and that's how we honor one another. 
It doesn't mean inflating one another's importance or anything like that. We honor our friends by sharing ourselves with them. And we see that with Jonathan and David. Jonathan honored David in this passage by giving David his robe, his armor, and his weapons, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And the belt is what the sword or a dagger would have sat on. So he did those three things. But what are those three things for us? I mean, most of us don't have a robe on. I guess I could give somebody my jacket, uh, but it, it may not fit you. Uh, and certainly, I don't think anybody came in here with a sword because that would be like a knife crime in London today, and that's not a very good idea. Uh, so, you know, so what is that for us? I mean, what does this mean? Well, the robe was a sign of Jonathan's position, standing, reputation, and status. It was a sign that he was the son of the king. And so when he gave David his robe, he's effectively making David his equal. He's making David his equal. You will not have unequal friendships. Now you might have different kinds of roles, different kinds of responsibilities, but when you share your robe, you are saying to the person, hey, I'm giving you everything that I have in terms of my status, my standing, my position in life. You know, I'm sharing that with you. Now, you're, you're a part of me, and we're going to share that together. And then the armor here. What is the armor? Well, the armor functioned for protection, and it functioned to separate warriors from one another. You know, it helps us to keep a distance when we have our armor, and it protects us. But if we give somebody else our armor, what are we doing? We are making ourselves vulnerable to the other person. If I give you my armor as a warrior, that means you can just simply stab me with your knife and I'm dead. It's a, a sign of vulnerability. And Jonathan made himself vulnerable to David when he handed over his armor. David could have taken advantage of that. David could have killed him. David could have done any number of things to Jonathan when Jonathan gave him his armor, but he didn't. Our friendships require, especially for us as men, vulnerability, openness, and self-disclosure. If we're going to be really friends, really friends, that means that our friends can hurt us. And sometimes they do. That means our friends can suddenly turn against us. And sometimes they do. That means the person we thought was a friend could be a false friend. And we've just taken a very, very big risk. But men, we need to take that risk. And we can take that risk if you're in Christ. Because if we're in Christ, we know who we are. We're significant, secure, and, and uh, accepted by Jesus, in and through Jesus. And so that means we can take the risk to be vulnerable. Because ultimately, even if our friend stabs us in the front, in our vulnerability, we still know that Jesus will heal us. And we can overcome. And so we can take that risk. Shame, lack of authenticity, being close to others are enemies of friendship. If you're walking around with that shame in your life, 
If you're being closed, if you're saying, hey, I need to be invulnerable, you will never have a friend, a real friend. You'll have a lot of acquaintances, especially if you have money, but you'll not have a real friend. You've got to take the risk. I mean, one of the amazing things about the steps to freedom in Christ that everybody goes through here if they're going to become a member of City Temple is I've sat with so many men in this church and we're really open and vulnerable with one another. You know, the secrets I know and how I could blackmail people, I, I just, it's, it's amazing. But I would never do that because I forget everything. Because the gift of openness and vulnerability is one of the most precious gifts that any man in this church has ever given me. And I will never, I promise you, squander that gift. I pray that God would strike me dead before allowing me to squander that gift because it's so precious. It's so precious. And then there was the weapons. The weapons. What are the weapons? The weapons were symbolic of our resources. You know, his weapons were what enabled John, Jonathan to, to lead the army and fight the battles. And so our weapons are the resources that we have in our lives. Jonathan shared his resources openly with David. He shared his time. He shared his energy. He shared his tools. He shared it with David. And so if we're going to have friends, we must honor our friends by sharing ourselves. By sharing ourselves. Then there's a fifth thing. We need to help your, your, help your friends succeed and rejoice in their success. Part of the reason that we have friendships as men is success. Because we want somebody to be successful. The key is that we need to want our friends to be successful. Even if we're not. That's one of the hardest things, but that's exactly what Jonathan did. Jonathan enabled David's successes by sharing his friendship with him. David went on to command the armies of Israel. David went on to do many, many great things. And Jonathan rejoiced even when David became more successful than he was. Jonathan was a great warrior. But David was an even better warrior. And Jonathan is rejoicing in maintaining the friendship even as the king's eldest son. He's maintaining this friendship. And it goes even further than that. Jonathan also rejoiced when it became clear that David would become king instead of him. He had the kingship by birthright, but David was going to be the king and he said to David, David, I'm happy that you're going to be the king. Just remember me in your kingship. And they made that covenant together. And so David was going to do that. We must help our friends succeed. Invest ourselves in the success of our friends. And rejoice when they succeed. Even if they do better than we do. Even if they get a better job, have a bigger house, have a nicer car. Uh, whatever it is. And the final thing we learn here. And we don't really learn it in this passage. You learn it by looking at the rest of their life together, their friendship together. Is we remain faithful and loyal to our friends no matter what. Remain faithful and loyal to your friends no matter what. You see these things in the rest of the story. 
uh, in First and Second Samuel. I encourage you to read it. Jonathan was faithful and loyal to David, even when he was even when David was alienated from his father Saul, even when David was a fugitive on the run, even when David was in the wilderness, in a place of deep struggle. Jonathan remained faithful and loyal. He wasn't a fair-weather friend. And Jonathan, the text says, a little bit later on, Jonathan, uh, the text says that Jonathan spoke well of David, even when others around David, including his father, were not speaking well about him. Jonathan demonstrated his faithfulness and loyalty to David by speaking positively of David, even when everybody else around him was speaking negatively of him. He didn't join into that. And David was faithful and loyal to Jonathan even after Jonathan was killed in battle. Even after that happened, David showed loyalty to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Who names their kid Mephibosheth, by the way? He was faithful and loyal to Mephibosheth. Uh, normally, Mephibosheth would have represented a threat to him because many people saw Mephibosheth as the rightful heir to the throne, and yet David took him and cared for him. He was crippled. Took him and cared for him and brought him in his own house, being faithful and loyal to Jonathan no matter what. We need to... Put these six things in practice, guys, if we're going to have male friends. And we need male friends. No man is an island. We all need male friendships. Especially with Christian men, but I think even with non-Christian men, because how else are people going to be led to Christ? If Jeff wasn't a friend to me before I knew Jesus, I wouldn't have known Jesus. We need male friendships. And frankly, guys, if we're living out these six principles we see from Jonathan and David, we will have male friendships. I am blessed to say that I've got men, friends, going back, as I said, more than four decades. And many, more than I can... You know, I long to spend time with all of them and many more than I can possibly do that with unless I was independently wealthy and could travel around with, if, with my own jet, which I'm not. So we need that. We need that. Now, a word to women. A word to women here, especially if you have a man in your life or if you're going to have a man in your life. Women must give the men in their lives time and space to have friendships with other men. You have to do it. You have to do it. It's absolutely essential. Now, men, we need to take the risk to become friends. And I told you, there, there are risks that we have. But I believe that male friendships, genuine, authentic male friendships, are an indicator of God's goodness. Male friendship has a sacred depth of joy and satisfaction that is precious and qualitatively different from the love of a woman. Notice what David said in that song. He said, Jonathan, oh man, your friendship is so pleasant to me, it surpasses the love of a woman. Now that doesn't mean 
that David valued Jonathan's friendship more than the friendship he had with, with his wives, it meant that there was something special about that friendship that could not be replicated in his relationship with any of his wives or any other woman. Now, Karen is my, probably my best friend. But I tell you, the male friendships in my life add something precious to me that Karen cannot replicate, no matter how hard she tries. It is precious and valuable and worthy of our commitment. We need to remember that Jesus himself desired to have friends to be with him. And we need to remember that Jesus, in addition to being God, our Savior, our Lord, the one who died on the cross, rose from the dead for us, our elder brother, Jesus delights in calling himself our friend. And men, Jesus is our friend. And we need to live in that reality and embrace that reality. It is a precious gift of God. And let's start to live into it. I want to close out with a couple of Proverbs of Friendship. Uh, I find these some, some Irish, Irish blessings in Proverbs. Uh, may the roof above us never fall in, and may the friends gathered below it never fall out. Isn't that a great one? I love that one. Always remember to forget the friends that proved untrue, but never forget to remember those that have stuck with you. Ah, that's a good one. And then here's my favorite. A toast to your coffin. Isn't that great? A toast to your coffin. May it be made of 100-year-old oak. And may we plant the tree together tomorrow. Father God, thank you so much for the gift of friendship. The gift of male friendship. It's such an extraordinary thing. Father, I pray that you'd show us as a church how to become a church that encourages and nurtures friendships among men. I thank you for our Wednesday night men's prayer time. I thank you for uh, the work that other men are doing, getting men together for Bible studies and things like that. I pray that it would grow and grow and grow so that we could be fully the people you want us to be. And Jesus, most of all, thank you for being our friend, for showing us what friendship is all about, for giving us the example of Jonathan and David. May we live up to the example that they have set and that you have set for our friendships together. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.